thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. Howdy, hey, it's Randall K. coming to you live from spectacular Spring Hill in magnificent Middle Tennessee. And you've tuned in to Bible News Radio. This is Sunday in the Scriptures edition. Tonight, as I turn down the volume of the music so you can hear my voice, uh, tonight we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John, Yochanan, specifically chapter 20. Um, that centers around the tomb of Yeshua, Yehoshua, Jesus, and see what lessons we can learn uh, from the undead. And not like undead like zombies, people, but uh, him who was alive and died and rose again. And um, let's see what's going on down here. Make sure that all these uh, platforms are working properly. Sure enough, it looks like uh, looks like Periscope is working fine. Hello out there in Facebook land, and YouTube seems to be under control as well. And uh, Twitch is live as well. All right, all four, four for four. We're good. Hope all is going uh, well today. It's been uh, it's been a good day, relaxing day. Of course, uh, fellowship this morning at uh, the usual congregation. Uh, my pastor had a good message out of Romans 6, talking about not yielding our members to members, you know, to unrighteousness, the members of our body, uh, to sin, because we don't have to if we are indeed in Christ, that uh, we are crucified with Him and have. Uh, new life, and we're to walk in newness of life. Uh, those, you know, before, and I can testify, before uh, the Lord came into my life and I uh, was found in Him, uh, sin came naturally. And I need to do something about this music just as it fades out. Turn it off, make sure it doesn't start another song. This is what you do when you're solo do, doing this stuff. Anyway. Um, but yeah. Uh, in Christ, uh, given a new nature being born again, uh, that we don't have to sin. Uh, just when we have the one nature, our human nature. Whoops, sorry about the rattle there. Um my hands came down the keyboard tray and shook the entire desk. Anyway, the uh, you know, with our just the one nature, the nature we're born with, our physical earthly nature, uh, that you know, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, of pride of life comes naturally, our natural human nature, and so we we sin by nature, and uh, with a new. Uh, with a second nature, a supernatural nature uh, that comes when we surrender 
to the Lordship of Yeshua, Yehoshua, Jesus, and uh, and invite him into our lives and place ourselves in him uh, with that second nature, uh, the supernatural nature, being born again, that we don't have to sin. We have the power. Uh, sin doesn't have to reign. Uh, it's the old master, the old life. We can, but we don't have to. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon, and you can probably find that online. Um, uh, First Baptist Church in Spring Hill. Um, anyway, uh, so I'm trying to get lined up for tonight, trying to get my um, presentation on screen. All right, now let's see if I can get that properly. Stand by. Should have had this dialed in earlier. We kind of did, but I hadn't started the presentation. Okay, there's that. There we go. All right. It's working. All right. And then what I'm going to do, because I can, and because uh, I'm running the show tonight, people, I can do what I want. I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to go ahead and put something in the lower third. Um, just to make it... Um, There we go. Of course, you can't see what I'm seeing, but trust me, I've, I've got it going on here because we wanted to look pretty for all y'all, you know. All right. So before we get into this too much, I want to say hello to y'all because uh, I've been up for a few minutes. I see that uh, R.G. Anderson has joined us on Periscope and uh, a few others out there. I don't know. Who you are, I just see a count of people. Um, Facebook as well, I don't know who's watching. I see some folks uh, on YouTube. One of those is your sweet and lovable, normal sweet and lovable host, uh, Stacy Lynn. She's out there. But I also know that she's on a webinar right now. and So, your attention is divided, but she's good at multitasking. I'm not, I can't. I can't take in two things at once. I can take in a few things at once if they're different types of input. Like I'm watching something, I can listen to something else, and I can read something else. I can be reading a book while watching TV, though I don't watch TV much these days, and maybe be listening to something. And watching TV, not if it's like with dialogue and needs to... Because then it's listening to... then then my brain gets easily confused. But I mean, if it's watching some event on television or something, then uh, where the, the audio isn't that important, I can be reading something. 
and also listening to something else and not have a hundred percent comp you know of, of comprehension but uh, you know kind of not lose everything all at once that was all for free all right so instead of me trying to do this small talk and keep you all entertained which i'm not i'm not an extemporaneous speaker nor an entertainer uh let's just go ahead and get into the scriptures because um yeah the scriptures are the scriptures and the word of god is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword and and it's profitable for teaching uh etc and so let's let's just get into it let's get in to the word and let's do it prayerfully people because um this is the only book that comes with its author and so we should approach the author uh, as we look into it you know just on a side note i remember speaking to a relative many years ago who were and they were saying they had trouble understanding the bible and i was a relatively young believer at the time um i don't know maybe five years in the lord i don't know relatively i've been walking with the lord for 35 years now something like that gosh i'm old anyway but i remember saying well you know when i come across something i don't understand i just i, I pray for understanding the holy spirit would teach me and usually i understand what's there and uh, the particular relative that I was speaking to was just like, wow, really? That works? <laughs> it's like, okay, well, the Bible says that, you know, the things of God are spiritually discerned, that, you know, the natural man cannot comprehend, and no one knows the, you know, mind of God, but the Spirit of God. And so it makes sense to ask the Spirit of God uh, for understanding of His Word. It's, you know, it's primarily about spiritual things so anyway um so yeah i'm i'm a real advocate and rather just waiting until something coming across something you don't quite understand just from the start ask for the holy spirit to guide you in your time of scripture reading and so let's do that right now father god you are the almighty god we're worthy of all glory, all honor, all blessing, all power and praise. We're thankful uh, for this, your word, which has been preserved uh, throughout the ages and is not just dead words on a page, but is, in fact, uh, your living word uh, that is for us, Lord, that we might be transformed in the image of your Son, Holy Spirit, we ask you, uh, to open our spiritual eyes and the, our spiritual ears. Give us an understanding of the things that you have for us uh, that we might receive the wonderful gifts you have prepared and preserved uh, through the ages. This time is yours to use as you will. Uh, we offer ourselves to you um, just to do what you will. Uh, this time is for uh, our good, but mostly your glory. We ask these things in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, what kind of transition we want? Probably just smooth so it's not too jarring. 
Tonight's subject, the tomb of Jesus, lessons from the undead. We're looking at the gospel of Yohanan, or John, chapter 20. Uh, now, just inside the, the translation that I'll be using tonight, we'll be looking at is the Scriptures, 2009 edition, um, translation from the Institute of Scripture Research, and uh, has a decidedly Hebrew um flavor to it um by design some of it may seem unfamiliar to and familiar to and primarily the names and and the names for us anglo people we're used to pronouncing a certain way but they're not really the english versions they're the english transliterations or English pronunciations of Latin transliterations of Greek transliterations of Hebrew names and transliteration is not translation transliteration is taking a sound something a word and in this case a name a proper name in another language and doing your best to approximate the sound the pronunciation of that name using a different alphabet and there um, there is good evidence there are good evidence there is good evidence that uh, that the New Testament scriptures may have originally been written in Hebrew and or elite is if you're Hebrew the, the English if you're Hebrew the language isn't called Hebrew that's an English name for Anyway, in, in the native Hebrew, the language is called Ivrit. That one was for free. Anyway, so we see things. For, exam for example, we'll come across the name, the, the name that uh, Yeshua or Yehoshua gave to um, who we call Simon Peter, as it comes, we've come to pronouncing it and we've come used to pronouncing Cephas but we look at the underlying Greek it's not spelled with a C there wasn't a C in in Greek it's it's, it's spelled with um, uh, the Greek letter Kappa which looks like our English letter K and and it's Kepha it's, it's spelled out in Greek letters the of course it's got the Sigma ending because the grammar demands it a whole other thing we've talked about in the past but we read kephas and then by when so the greek language transliterating the kepha sound of hebrew uh, which is uh or aramaic for stone and then uh and then when when you know the greek transliterated aramaic the the Latin then transliterated the Greek, took the sound, trying to approximate that with Latin letters. And at the time, there wasn't the English letter K in the, not as we know it, the, the, the Latin C is a hard C, a K, K sound, not a soft C sound as we know it. And, and then, and then there was, um, yeah. And then the PH for the Greek letter fee and anyway so it was transliteration and anyway so, so we 
into the scriptures here, you'll see these Hebrew names preserved in, in a spelling that is more like the sounds that are represented in the Greek text, which is the, the Hebrew names. And so not as we've come to the mispronounce them in the English language. All right. So back to it. Um, there it is. All right. So verse one of Yochanan chapter 20. Read about Miriam from Magdala um, and that line over the G is the hard G, not a soft G, it's not Maj, it's Magdala. And that's the place from which this Miriam or Mary was from. We're used to saying Mary Magdalene because she was a Magdalene. She was from the, the region of Magdala. And I'm trying to, uh, I see that the words are getting cut off there, so I'm trying to fix that a little bit. There we go. All right. Verse 1. And on day one of the week, Miriam from Magdala came early to the tomb while, yet it, while it was still dark and saw the stone had been removed from the tomb. All right, so this is this is if you've read through John as we have been doing in Daily Disciples, uh, Yehoshua Yeshua Jesus uh, was buried and was in the tomb, and this is the following Sunday, the first of the the week, the the first of the Sabbaths or the of the sevens, as it literally is, but but the first day of the week uh, that. Uh, this Miriam, we're using Mary, uh, and the, the Miriam from Magdala, she comes to the tomb. And and we see in the other Gospels that they're wondering, these women who come to uh, the tomb are wondering who's going to roll away the stone. Because it's a heavy stone that's placed over the opening of a tomb, typically. And... Um, and not just the action of one person, but you know, usually a lever and it's put on a slope where it's rolled and usually down a slope and a tomb isn't something you open often. You know, even if it's a family tomb, you're not putting people in there every day. So, uh, and it takes some leverage to roll it up kind of thing. So, but they're like, well, wait a second, you know, who's going to open? But she sees that the tomb is open. And on a side note, a lot of critics will look at the different accounts of this, the women coming to the tomb, and they'll say, oh, well, they're the contradictory, you know, we know, we know the New Testament is just fairy tales, because it can't even agree, everything's, you know, nothing agrees, but it says, see, Mary came here, and others, the other places, says these other Marys came, and, you know, but... In John's gospel, Yohanan's gospel, it doesn't say that she came alone. It just said she came. And I bolded came there for a reason I'm going to get back to. Um, no. Yeah. I'm not going to get there. 
I got ahead of myself. I want to talk about uh, Miriam from Magdala, Mary Magdalene first. Um, we read in in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, uh, it's when she's introduced. And it came to be afterward that he went through every city and village proclaiming and bringing the good news of the reign of Elohim. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who were healed of wicked spirits and sicknesses. And the first mention is Miriam, called from Magdala, uh, out of whom came seven demons. We also see that this Mary was at the cross uh, when Yeshua was being crucified. We see that in Mark chapter 15, verse 40, and John chapter 19, verse 25. So, that was for free, a little bit, uh, about this particular Miriam, or Mary, uh, from Magdala. Anyway, this apparent contradiction in the accounts, it doesn't say here in John's Gospel that she came alone, it just mentions her. Um, you know, in other, in other Gospels, uh, like Mark's Gospel, for example, we read that when the Sabbath was passed, Miriam from Magdala and, and Miriam, the mother of uh, Yaakov and uh, Shelomah, brought spices to anoint him. And very early on day one of the week, they, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. If we look here in John's Gospel, just verse 2, uh, we read that Miriam from Magdala, she ran and came to Shimon Kepha, or Simon Peter, if you will, and to the other taught one whom Yehoshua loved and said to them, they have taken the master out of the tomb and we do not know where they laid him. Is this the royal we? Um, you know, the majestic plural, she's referring to herself and in the plural? No, obviously she was not alone. John doesn't say that she was alone. It just mentions her because later on there's a particular experience that she has alone that John is choosing to single name name her by name, saying that she came to the tomb. Nowhere that it says that she came alone. It doesn't contradict the other gospel accounts because we see they're just in the language. She says, we do not know where they laid them. Uh, she wasn't being, you know... <laughs> adopting royal plural language obviously she was with other women uh, just because they're not mentioned by name um, John's not saying that she came alone anyway that was for free um, so we, re we read there that she she ran and told uh, Shimon the Kepha Simon Peter and the other taught one, or other disciple, whom uh, Yehoshua, Jesus, loved. And uh, we know that throughout John's gospel, Yochanan's gospel, uh, he doesn't refer to his, himself by name. We know it's him because of the other gospels and certain events uh, that identify him by name, where, where John identifies himself as uh, the disciple or the taught one that Yeshua loved. And so that's 
how we know is again multitude of witnesses and from different angles and you put the whole story together uh, from the different accounts just like a police officer or a detective you know a crime scene or whatever will will interview multiple multiple people to get the whole story because each had their vantage point and some emphasize things that others don't etc so so she ran and told Shimon Kepha and the other disciple. Then Kepha, a.k.a. Peter, and the other top one went out, and they were going to the tomb, and the two were running together, but the other top one outran Kepha and came to the tomb first. And stooping down, he saw the linen wrappings lying, but he did not go in. Then Shimon Kepha came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying, and the cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but folded up in a place by itself. Alright. A lot coming, there's a lot going on here. And um, so you picture these two guys, they're like, what? You know, the tomb's empty, the stone's rolled away, and so they come running. And um, and the one that Jesus loved, who we know to be the writer of this gospel, um, you know, he outruns Peter, comes there first, but stops at the entrance, looks down in, and you'll see this language about stooping in. The, the opening of a tomb, typically, you know, in the first century and even beforehand, is not not like the a warehouse, you know, overhead door, or a two-car garage opening. Is, these things are hewn out of rock, so it's a small opening, uh, and then you know, places hewn out inside to lay corpses, to lay bodies. So, you know, to get a look in, you've got to you've got to stoop down to look. So, we've got uh, Yochanan. He's stooping looking in, and then. Shimon Kepha, he comes, even though he wasn't as fast, he got the second, but he went inside. And we see this bit about um, the, um, well, first of all, came. Um, I bolded the word came here. It's not bolded in, in the particular translation. I've bolded it because we see this beginning at verse 1. There's this language, this perspective about coming to the tomb. Not that they went to the tomb. Or um, even though, even though Yochanan, the one writing, the one writing this account, he wasn't there. We find that although he outran Peter, it's something that came later. He talks about um, uh, Miriam from Magdala, Magdala going there. Uh, and the other women not mentioned by name, because he says, you know, they do not know where they laid him. Uh, but even though he wasn't there at that time when the women came, or got there, you know, he said, she came. And there's this perspective about coming to the tomb, not going to the tomb, but coming to the tomb. Even though he himself was not there initially. Uh, the, the perspective is that from the tomb 
and looking outward, the place where Yeshua had been, had risen from being the focal point. Um, again, and it's not just by definite article or anything like that. It, it, it's as the point of reference, um, almost like the first point of reference. Um, I wouldn't tell you come to the store unless I was there myself or, or, you know, you know, come to Nashville and visit, uh, <laughs> so I was, you know, in the area, uh, you know, if I talked about somebody going somewhere and say they went somewhere or they're going to somewhere, but this language of coming to, uh, makes this to me anyway. Uh, this this account unique, this focal point of the tomb being the point of reference and looking out. Um, these folks coming to the tomb. All right, I'm, I'm looking over here because I'm uh, trying to see if I'm not missing any comments, anything like that. Okay, so... So this bit about um, the linen wrappings lying. Uh, stooping down, he saw the linen wrappings lying, and uh, that would be uh, the first one who got there first, the other disciple. And then we read that Shimon Kepha came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying and and then the cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but folded up in a place by itself. Now the the word here in the Greek um, uh, New Testament is is one of uh, set uh, as could be used of lying an infant down or a place, uh, or a city set on a hill, or uh, it's, it's something about, something intentionally placed. It's not like just watered up and, and it fell wherever it were. Uh, the idea is that um, it's intentionally placed, uh, arranged, and we see the cloth that had been on his face somewhere else, the, the old King James's napkin, and there's this folklore about when uh, when the master folds up his napkin, it says, I'll be back. And there's there's nothing in in Jewish literature to, to suggest that. That's just, I don't know where that came from. Uh, but we see that as a practice. If we go back earlier in, in John's Gospel, we see that when Lazarus came forth, he was wrapped up in linens and had a, separate cloth over his face that was the custom burial practice but Lazarus came out still bound still wrapped up and still had the thing uh, tied around his face uh, what's interesting here in the case of Yeshua is that the linen wrappings lying um, they are set they are deliberately placed well how are they deliberately placed it doesn't tell us, the scripture doesn't tell us, but imagine strips of cloth, a typical mummy kind of thing they see in Egypt. It wasn't, this is a burial practice going on for a long time. Um, and if we go back, you know, a chapter and say it was prepared, 
it was he was wrapped up and so how do you unwrap unwind a body and have something set in order um uh, like deliberately specifically intentionally set did he like roll it back up into like um you know a spool kind of thing and set it down or um uh scholars much smarter than i uh suggest that that they were they were lying they were intentionally set as if they had been originally placed that is still in the form of a wrapped up body except the body not in there uh, as if they had been intentionally unwound and placed set on a body the, lin the linens were still lying but minus the body as if he had passed through them and and um for john to mention this is is specific into whether he originally wrote in greek or in hebrew but whatever the greek word chosen here is is to differentiate from just they were heaped up somewhere they just fell wherever they would fall they were lying they were they were like again laying down an infant or laying out your clothes for the next day they were set out in an intentional way and similarly the the wrapping that was on his that had covered his head it wasn't with the linen wrappings but folded up in a place by itself again which is just it's just kind of weird um that again if 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 the grave had been robbed, you know, of the body, this would not be the case. Uh, Yochanan, John is careful to, to point this out, that the linens are lying in order, intentionally set, and the face cloth is, is folded up and set in another place. Um, as if to say that, you know, this wasn't just some hasty, hasty grave robbing or that but something intentional t had transpired here. And if it had been disciples stealing away the body, they wouldn't have taken the time to put things in order and fold things up. And um, it's to me, it's the Lord saying this was planned, this was intentional, and it wasn't, I mean, this was this was a resurrection. You can tell just by the linens that are left here, the cloths that are left here. It's there isn't a, a natural explanation for it. It's not. It's not. It's not like a uh, a dead man was resuscitated, like in the case of Lazarus, who dead and uh, of course supernaturally came back to life, but he hobbled out of there still wrapped up in grave clothes and the and the face cloth was still on his head uh, when he came out of the tomb it's not like that and it's certainly not a, a grave robbery where the body was taken who, who would break in and unwrap the body and if they did they just leave it there in a heap 
the fact that things were lying as they were, as the Greek language uh, intimates, says that something out of the ordinary, something out of the natural uh, happened here. And I think that is that is precisely the intent. All right, going on. Um, we're going to go to verses 3 through 9. Um, um, but we're going to take another short little detour. I went too far. Okay, now I'm... All right, that's right, because that begins at verse 3. And then coming back here, finishing up the last verse, it says, So then the other top one, of the Yochanan, John, who came, again, there's that, not went, but came to the tomb first, also went in. Okay, now he's like, well, okay, well, uh, you know, Kepha went in, and it was safe, nothing happened, so, you know, then he followed in. And he saw and believed. Uh, what did he believe? Well, he believed that something out of the ordinary had happened, something supernatural had happened, because, just because of the way the linens were. Uh, the body was not there, but the linens were there in such a way that says the body wasn't taken. Uh, the body didn't get up and move while wrapped up. Something unusual, something that had never happened before, something for which there wasn't an earthly explanation, or, you know, even something that wasn't even like the the resurrection of Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, again, who came out still wrapped up in the grave clothes, still had the cloth on his face. Just the witness of the evidence of the linens themselves and the way they were lying in that tomb was reason enough for uh, John to note that something something completely out of the ordinary beyond a natural explanation had taken place. But I bold this phrase, for they did not yet know the scripture that he had that he has to rise again from the dead. And this particular translation preserves the um tense of the Greek verbs, that he has to rise again from the dead. Therefore, the taught ones went away again by themselves. Individually, no. I think that because of what happens next, that Miriam of Magdala, that she was left by herself. These guys, and perhaps other women, women uh, went away by themselves and, and left Miriam there. But for they did not yet know the scriptures. What scriptures? Well, of course, the New Testament had not been written, but that's not what it's talking about. Again, this comes back uh, to the Old Testament and all that is written there. Now, unlike us, many of us in the Western world, who probably have more than one Bible in our native language and and are able to read it and learn from it, um, you know, the scriptures, uh, and are in, in a modern synagogue or handwritten on scrolls. They were then, 
Uh, but there was only, you know, one of them. Nobody took them home. You know, people didn't have their own copies of the word. It existed in the synagogue there, the, the Torah scrolls and and also the, the of the prophets and the writings. Uh, those scrolls were the synagogue. So they weren't at their ready disposal, uh, but they had grown up um, hearing them. Uh, read in the synagogue, but apparently they weren't familiar with them, and that, and we find that um, coming up in in uh, the case of uh, Luke's gospel uh, in chapter twenty-four, when we read about the two disciples uh, that were on the road to Emmaus and. And their encounter with the risen Savior as he talked with them. Um, and this is recording what those two disciples were saying. And, and they said, And some of those with us went to the tomb and found it. Talking about what we're reading here in John chapter 20. And found it as also the women had said, but they did not see him. And he, that would be Yehoshua, Yeshua, Jesus, said to them, O thoughtless ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to enter into his esteem? And beginning at Moshe or Moses and all the prophets, he was explaining to them in all the scriptures the matters concerning himself. And I've talked about this before, just in case you're new, try not to belabor this too long, but the the Hebrew Bible as we know it, the Old Testament, um, in, in its Hebrew arrangement is arranged into three sections. The Torah, or the Law, uh, the Nevi'im, or the Prophets, and the Ketuvim, the writings, um, and uh, Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, those three words, if you take the first letters, they form an acronym called Tanakh. And, um, and, and Jews refer to the complete Old Testament scriptures and complete Old Testament Bible, the, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim as the Tanakh. It's that acronym for those three groups, uh, those three sections of the Bible. And, and Yeshua, the risen Lord, is telling the disciples, well, he's explaining them, and beginning at Moshe, or the five, first five books of Moses, the Torah, and all the prophets, uh, the Nevi'im, he was explaining to them all the scriptures, or graphon in the in the uh, in the Greek, the writings, the matters concerning himself. So throughout the the Hebrew Bible, if you will, the Old Testament, the Torah, and the the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, the, the the Law, the Prophets, and and the writings, um, in there are witnesses and prophecies of the Messiah. Um, and his his coming, his his death, his resurrection, 
you know, his suffering. It's all in there. And that's why John says they did not yet know the scriptures. Uh, they, they, they could have, but weren't familiar enough. And there's no reason we shouldn't be familiar. Uh, but um, so, you know, that change, we see Peter, Kepha, for, exa for example, you know, in Acts chapter 2, when he's giving this sermon, uh, to the masses there uh, that had come for the feasts beginning with Pesach or Passover and then uh, to Pentecost um, uh, that he was, you know, he gives Old Testament scriptures uh, backing up who Messiah is and whose identity showing that Yeshua uh, of Nazareth is the promised Messiah. And if you read Peter's epistles as well, it's just Old Testament quotation after Old Testament quotation that this is, that identifies Yehoshua, Yeshua, as the promised Jewish Messiah. Um, in fact, if you even look at the Gospels, the words that came out of Yeshua's mouth, um, approximately 70% seven, of the recorded words, those red letters and the red letter editions, of, of Jesus are um, either direct Old Testament quotations or allusions to the Old Testament. So this is cool to know. This 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 Christianity thing isn't something like holy, complete holy W H O L Y, you know, invented out of thin air, out of whole cloth in the first century. There was just some brand new religion that came along. Um, it was the continuation of Judaism, not Pharisaic Judaism, but biblical Judaism in the promised Messiah has come and suffered and died accord and rose again, <laughs> according to the scriptures. And it's, it's, it's a tragedy that through, uh, through the centuries and close to two millennia now that, um, as, as Christianity, as, as word of the Messiah and the teachings of Messiah, uh, spread throughout the Roman empire, um, which became other European empires. And then the, the, the English empire going into the, you know, 17th and 18th centuries, etc that the the Hebrew context and Jewish roots, if you will, of Christianity have been lost and 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 in so many circles Jews are seen as the outsiders to Christianity when in fact Gentiles are the outsiders who've been grafted in. And we've talked about that many times, we'll talk about that uh many times again, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I don't want to get, um, too far away from John chapter 20 here. So yeah, they did not know yet the scripture and, and because the scriptures from, from, from the Torah through the prophets, through the writings, um, they speak of, of the Messiah, his life, his death, his suffering, his suffering, his death, let's put it in order, life, his suffering, his death and his resurrection. All right, so next. 
we find uh, Miriam, the Miriam of Magdala, uh, whom mentioned at the top of this chapter. We see her now by herself, or at least not by herself yet. We'll get to a place where it's clear that she's by herself. Uh, because from the other Gospels, we know that when these uh, angels, these two messengers show up, there are other witnesses to this. Um, so, Yohanan, John, chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. But Miriam was standing outside by the tomb weeping. So she didn't go in. She was... Uh, then as she wept, she stooped down to the tomb. Again, you have to stoop down. You have to stoop down to look into it because of that... Um, uh, short doorway and saw two messengers Ankylosis in the Greek or, um, uh, or yeah or what angels in um, uh, most English translations but the word means messengers it usually refers to heavenly messengers and given their the their appearance in white um being in the tomb, uh, I think it's safe to assume they're um, heavenly messengers. And what's interesting, so she stooped down to the tomb and saw two messengers in white, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Yehoshua, and yes, those are um, Hebrew a.k.a. Aramaic letters spelling out the name Yehoshua, where the body of Yehoshua had been laid. So, interesting. There are two angels. They show up. They appear. And they're in the tomb. And one at the sitting, where one where the head and one where the feet of the body of Jesus had been. Um, and I think this is significant. Why do I think this is significant? Well, I think this is significant uh, because of the cohesiveness of Scripture. Okay, this is where the body of Yeshua, Yehoshua, Jesus had been. And now, uh, where his body had been, his slain body had been, crucified body had been we see these um uh two angels at opposite ends of that place and i i believe it's a picture of the mercy seat which is a picture of the throne of god well what do you mean um well if we look at um book of Yeshia, or Yeshiahu, or Isaiah, if you will. Um, again, one of those transliterations that have come down trying to approximate the the Hebrew name, uh, Yeshia. In chapter 6, we read, In the year that sovereign, or king, Aziahu died, I saw, we'll say Adonai, that's the Tetragrammaton, the the personal name of God. I saw the Lord. Let's go with the English um, Bible tradition. 
sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the hechal, or temple, if you will, the, um, the throne room. Above it stood a seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Um, and then we find that they cry, holy, 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 and there's smoke that fills the temple, etc. And, well, I think that's important uh, because um, that we see that picture replicated in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting in the Old Testament. And as the writer of Hebrews points out, speaking of Yeshua, uh, it says, For if indeed he were on earth, he would not be high, not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the Torah, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly. As Moshe was warned when he was about to make the tent or the tabernacle, for he said, and this will be the Lord speaking to Moshe or Moses, see that you make all according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And specifically, how was the Ark of the Covenant uh, fashioned? How was it made? Um, it was made as a copy of the things in the heaven. And see, this bears any resemblance to the description that Yeshayahu or um, or Isaiah gives about the throne room of God with the angels on either side uh, and wings, you know, covering, you know, extend covering these thrones and extended out to the throne and, and smoke filling the throne room. Um, in uh, Shemot or Exodus chapter 25, these instructions to make the Ark of the Covenant and just a portion of that says, and into the ark shall you put the witness which I give you. And that, if you look early, that's the that is the um, the stone tablets containing the commandments, as well as the rod of Aaron that budded and some of the manna. Anyway, and you shall make a lid of atonement, or something as translated say a mercy seat of clean gold two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide and uh, two and a half cubits long. So uh, a cubit is roughly 18 inches. So two cubits would be 36 inches and the half of a cubit would be nine so 40. I don't know. Doesn't matter. But two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. And you shall make two cherubim of gold granted they're not seraphim but a type of angelic creature of gold make them a beaten work at the two ends of the lid of atonement or the two ends of the mercy seat and make one cherub at one end and another cherub at the other end make the cherubim from the lid of atonement the mercy seat at its two ends and the cherubim shall be spreading out their wings above, covering the lid of the lid of atonement with their wings, and their faces toward each other, the faces of the cherubim uh, turned toward the lid of atonement, or the mercy seat. 
And if when we go on and we see the orders given to the priests, that when in the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, they're to um, first go in with some incense that fills up the place with smoke, and they're to sprinkle blood, blood there on the lid of atonement, the mercy seat between the two angels. Um, and that's an earthly thing going on and as we know from the book of uh hebrews that you know that those things in the temple were pattern were copies and shadows of the things in the heavenly and as we see in isaiah chapter 6 that that picture of the holy of holies with the two angels at either end and the mercy seat and the place filled with smoke and their wings extending that sure sounds like the throne room of god And to circle back in the book of Hebrews, what is that throne of God? What is that throne uh, that on earth was the mercy seat where the blood of sacrifice was sprinkled between the two angels? Um, on Hebrews chapter 4, or Ephraim, uh, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, uh, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jehoshua, the son of Elohim, let us hold fast our, confess our confession, for we do not have a high priest unable to sympathize for our weakness, but one who was tried in all respects as we are, apart from sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to where the throne of favor, or the throne of grace, in order to receive compassion or mercy, and find a favor or grace for timely help or help in time of need. So follow me here. We've got the throne of God between the angels. And when God instructs Moses to make the heavenly copy or the earthly copy of heavenly things, he makes the mercy seat between two angels upon which the blood of atonement is sprinkled for the forgiveness of sins. Earthly thing, going here, we have uh, the, the tomb where the body of Yeshua, the body of Messiah, had been laying, his bloody body, uh, his blood had been spilled, uh, if you will, on that that place in the tomb where his body had lain. And these two angels show up at either end of it. And and now that the shoe is resurrected in our day, not in John chapter 20 yet, but ascended, he takes the throne. And he read elsewhere, he goes to the throne of his father. And they share a throne. And that throne is the throne of, of mercy. It's the throne of grace where we find mercy um, because of his shed blood. I hope this is making sense. Um, I feel like I'm not tying the, the ends together quite right, but uh, I, I hope you see it. Um, while I've got that slide up, I'm going to pop out here make sure i'm not missing any important comments can you believe it's almost the top of the hour my goodness how the time flies all right all right i don't want to take this too much farther i wanted to get back to 
wanted to get back to Miriam of Magdala and her encounter uh, with with the Risen Lord. Hold on, put me back up. I instruct myself, give myself instruction there. Um, yeah, all right. I'll just go this far. The next few verses in um, in uh, in 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 John's Gospel here, verse twenty. Um, I'll try to wrap this up in fifteen minutes. Okay. And they said to her, the the two angels, um, the two messengers that were sitting at either end of where the body of Yeshua, Jesus, had been. They said to her, Woman, why do you weep? She said to them, Because they took away my master, and I do not know where they laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Yehoshua standing, but she did not know that it was Yehoshua. Yehoshua said to her, Woman, why do you weep? Whom do you seek? Thinking he was the gardener, she said to him, Master, if you have carried him away, say to me where you have put him, and I shall take him away. Yehoshua said to her, Miriam. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, now I bold a couple things. She turned around. The word turned is the same in here, but the one has this, um, it's, uh, what is it? Not a preposition per se, um, golly, using my, losing my parts of speech. Anyway, but it talks about an orientation. She turned herself around and because she had been, you know, she had been stooped down looking in the tomb. So she, I think it's saying that she backed up from there and um, had sawn at a glance, Yehoshua was standing there, and, and, golly, I'm trying to wrap this up, there's just so much here, um, real quick, I think it's, it's interesting to see her, just her devotion, even when she, she thinks that he's dead, she wants to take away the body, I mean, that she values him so much. Um, she loves him so much that um, the idea that his his body has been taken out of the tomb, uh, she sees as a disservice to him, a dishonor to him. And um, even though by herself, you know, if, if she has to put that body over his shoulders with its hundred pounds of linen and spice. Well, she knows the, I don't know. I don't know what she's thinking at this point. The, the linen she sees, because she stooped down, she looked at the tomb, the, the linens lying by themselves and in, in an unnatural way, uh, without a natural explanation. And, and so she doesn't know what's going on. Obviously she sees Yehoshua, sees Jesus, thinks, Maybe he's the gardener, and she's just she's just really the idea that his body would be 
dishonored or desecrated in such a way to be taken out of the tomb. It's just, she's beside herself. And then, um, you know, the angels, why do you weep? Because they've taken him. I don't know where, uh, I don't know where his body is. And then she backs up out of the tomb, probably because she's thinking, what the heck, you know, these these two angels and they're you know at either end of where he'd been and she backs up encounters this other guy says woman why do you weep same question except another one whom do you seek and she says you know master um something i respect master if you just a respectful title if you've carried him away, say to me where you put him, and I shall take him away. You know, I'll make sure that it's carried for. And he said to her, Miriam, it's interesting. When he said to her, asked her, woman, why do you weep? Whom do you seek? Um, she didn't recognize him. When he, when he just talked about, um her her felt need but when he mentioned her by name uh, personally reached out to her says she turned and it doesn't say she turned around or turned herself around which the previous sentence says it says just she just turned and this word that can mean turned um, can mean as in an orientation but it's odd in that it's not it's not um connected with it it's not accompanied by any other words that would normally talk about turned where or turned to what orientation or turned in what way uh the word here in the greek as in the english it's not associated with any other thing the other time she turned she turned around she turned herself around is really would be a more literal translation you know she reoriented her body from stooping in the tomb to another orientation but here there's there are no accompanying words like that no other nouns prepositions anything like that she turned it's kind of odd so what way did she turn i Maybe this is pure speculation, but I think just internally something, uh, a switch, a switch flipped, if you will. There was a, a, a spiritual awakening that went on, if you will. She turned. Anyway, she turned to him and said, Rabboni, which means teacher. That's, that's an understatement. Yeah, it does mean teacher, but there's a lot going on there. Again, a transliteration. If... If you look at the Hebrew words, uh, Rav is teacher. Uh, Rab or Rav, depending on Ashkenazi, Sephardic. Anyway, um, Ravi or Ravi uh, means my teacher. That Yud on the end makes it possessive. So or Rabbi, as we would say in Anglo. Uh, my teacher is what rabbi means, but rabbon it goes farther than rav. It's like um, superlative. It's it's uh, like 
head teacher, if you will, or like best teacher, greatest teacher. You're not just a, a Rav or Harav, Ravon. Um, and then, and that again, that Yodending Raboni makes it my, my super teacher, my, you know, top of the, top of the stack teacher, my, my favorite teacher, the best teacher of mine. And, and so there's a, a personal connection going on there. Where, you know, he starts at asking just a generic woman, why do you weep and whom do you seek? But when it becomes personal, Miriam by name, she turned to him and said, Ravoni, which means, which means my super teacher, the teacher whom I respect above all others and is my personal uh, teacher whom I respect above all others. And so, wow, um, nine after. And there's this whole part where he says, don't, don't cling to me or take hold of me because I'm not yet ascended. And that goes back to Hebrews chapter four. Uh, we have a high priest who's ascended through the heavens and gosh, there's so much there. Um, man, but I could go on another hour. Let's kind of wrap up. Let's bring an application, shall we? Because it's one thing to just know the scriptures, be familiar with them. Um, I want to go back to this idea of this central perspective of the tomb, that they came to the tomb. Miriam came to the tomb. Uh, Shimon Kefan, the other disciple, came to the tomb. Um, that that it is the focal point. It is the place of the initial uh, evidence of the resurrection of Messiah. The gospel is not just that he died for our sins, but he died and rose again. Uh, not just resuscitated in the way that Lazarus was reanimated, if you will, but rose again eternally, uh, took on a a resurrection body, a resurrection life. And as you go on through the Gospel of John and other Gospels, we see that it's a body not confined to the physical limitations of of material, you know, time and space as we know it. It's uh it's unique and the fact the way the linens were lying tells us something. It's it's a unique type of resurrection. It's not just a resuscitation or reanimation. It's it's something else. It's um it's a newness of life. And so coming to the tomb, these different people came to the tomb and we see and we see uh, them coming into the tomb first uh first shimon kepha peter comes and then afterwards john comes and john believes and then it's this personal encounter uh with the risen lord uh, miriam when he 
speaks to her by name, Miriam, and she turns and calls him my my most respected personal teacher. Um, that it's this encounter, though though each one they came, you know, Peter and John came together. Uh, Mary came with other women. Um, each one had, it was when each one had a personal, individual encounter uh, coming, um, uh, coming to grips or into intersecting with his resurrection, that there was a change. And so that is as it is uh, still uh, that Messiah is risen. Um, and even as Christ was risen, we also should walk in newness of life, both now and forever. Um, and it takes a personal intersection, a personal relation, a, a personal investment uh, with that resurrected Messiah, uh, to know that resurrection power, uh, to know the purpose uh, and the power uh, that comes with that resurrection is by not just personal investigation, but by personal commitments and belief. Um, obviously I'm not a, I'm not a professional, I'm not a professional preacher or pastor. Um, I just love the Lord. I love his word and I'm trying to communicate these things to you the best, uh, that I can. And I'm better at writing than speaking because I have more time to put my thoughts together. But um, it's just my prayer. Well, let me just pray for you and we'll close this out. Yeah. Father God, thank you for this time that we've had together in your word. Um, again, your miraculous word, miraculously preserved, that has uh, messages, miraculous messages, and... Um, Lord, spiritual messages and instruction for us. I pray, Lord, that you would bless uh, the reading of your word, the sharing of your word. Your word tells us that faith comes by hearing, hearing about the word of God. As, as those who have listened uh, to this broadcast have listened to your word, pray that you would increase their faith that you would motivate them, stir them to once again uh, revisit the tomb. Not a tomb where the body of Yehoshua, the body of Yeshua lies, but where his body resurrected and, and indelibly left on history. Um, the evidence of his resurrection and that each would not just take it as head knowledge that the resurrection of Messiah is a is an historical fact, but 
is a personal point of contact for faith and power uh, that they might walk in a newness of life, in resurrection power, with faith and confidence, not only what you have done, what you were able to do, uh, not just in history, but personally in their lives. Uh, I thank you, praise you, commit these to you, and trust you, Lord, to do, continue to do wonderful things in our lives. I ask these things in the name of Yeshua, Messiah, the Lord. All right, friends, family of God, uh, thanks for joining me. Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you, lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace. And as he does that, you all, you be bold, you stand up and go with God wherever you go. Why? Because he loves you immeasurably.